0: You're listening to Artistic Finance, show 146. On today's show, Theater Art Life founder, Anna Robb, interviews costume designer, Jessica champagne Hansen and the deputy managing director of Center Theater Group, Camille Schenken. They discuss navigating a career in technical entertainment. That is the title of their recent book, which explores tools and strategies for navigating an artistic career in design and technology in entertainment. Without further ado, let's get to the show. You are listening to Artistic Finance, where we
1: help creatives learn about the business of show business.
0: Before we get to the interview, let me explain a bit about this episode. It's the first of several theater art life episodes that are going to air throughout the rest of the year. When I let Anna know that I had a baby on the way, she was more than thrilled to create a few collaboration episodes so that I could take a step away from artistic finance. And now that baby Theo is here, I am so grateful for Anna and the work that she has been doing. Another thing about this episode is that it is our mother's day special. Yesterday was Mother's Day, and our producer Nicole had her very first one of those as a mother. And all of today's guests are also mothers. Happy Mother's Day to all the mothers listening. This episode released the same week that Theo was born. And so when I heard the interview, I absolutely loved that they discuss being parents and how significant that is for anyone in the arts. Yes, being a parent is a lot of work for anyone but throw in a busy and freelance career, and it's an absolute miracle that entertainment folk can raise children. Now, without further ado, let's get to the show.
1: Now, I was like, someday this will be worth it, right? And, and it is, it is worth it.
2: I had a really different journey, but you asked for that raise.
1: My career isn't happening to me. I am making my
2: career happen. Just seeing everybody being like, ah, yeah, theater's the best. Like, oh, I love it. I feel, I do feel so grateful to be in it. Hello,
3: and welcome to the Theatre Art Live podcast, sponsored by Cleacomps. Clearcom are the leader in voice communications for theatre and the performing arts. They're relied upon from the Broadway stage to the West End to surface du lake. Clearcom brings seamless communication solutions to your stage. The Theatre Out Life podcast puts the spotlight on those who create live entertainment around the world, the culture creators and the backstage masters. My name is Anna Robb. In these next few episodes, we're recording in collaboration with my fellow podcaster and now friend Ethan from Artistic Finance. Today we're talking with Camille Schenken and Jessica Champagne-Natson. Camille is the Deputy Managing Director for Centre Theatre Group. Before moving into that position, she led workforce development and emerging artists programming at CTG starting in 2012. She is proud to teach in the Master of Arts Administration Program at Goosha College as well as the Department of Theatre and Dance at Cal State LA. She has served on the Advisory Board for Emerging Arts Leaders Los Angeles and the Program Committee for the California State Summer School for the Arts. Jessica is a Los Angeles based costume designer and technician with credits in theatre, dance, film, television, commercials, theme parks and corporate clients. She is a published author and her work has been featured in numerous theatre journals and books. Jessica is proud to be the head faculty and creator of the costume program at East Los Angeles College in the theatre arts department. She's a member of IATSE, Local 829, and serves on the Publication Committee for USITT. Jessica received an MFA in Costume Design from the University of California, Irvine, and a BFA in Costume Design and Technology from Emerson College. Camille and Jessica, welcome to the show. Thank you.
2: Thank you so much. Happy to be here.
3: Now, we're across the planet together today, so I'd love to hear about, you know, like, let's start with uh, Camille. Tell us a little bit about yourself, other than what I just read in terms of your resume.
2: Sure. Well, I'm a, I'm a mom to two amazing little kiddos, which I always like to talk about because it's uh, it's not the easiest thing to be parenting in the arts field. Uh, so I love talking about that and trying to create better systems for people who are parenting. I come from a, a producing background and a fundraising background, and I've been with Center Theater Group for about 11 years um, and I love it so much. I love the people. Um, I love the, the being able to create work in Los Angeles um, is really, really lovely. I'm super passionate about uh, career development for people in theater and related fields. It's it's become something that has been a, a guiding force in my career. And I've done it differently in different jobs, but right now I'm I'm really lucky to be in a position where I get to do it really directly for the staff at CTG where I can I can really think about what do people need to do their best work what do people need to take the next step in their career and that's really at the at the heart of all my practice in Mm,
3: theatre. That's really that's really interesting and I too am also very passionate as a parent of two children how to balance a career in the arts and I hate the word balance because it's all life, right? Like everything we do is, is part of our, especially when you work in the arts, it's part of your life. So you have to find how to work together on all of those things. It's not about a balance. It's about it it, it being in synergy, right?
2: That's right. It's like a collage.
3: (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And Jessica, tell us a bit more about you. Yes. So
1: I'm in the company of amazing parents. I am also a mother of two uh, and my husband works in film and television as a production designer But I moved here to Los Angeles from Boston, Massachusetts, where I was born and raised. And I want to say that my career path, as exciting as it is, it's a little boring in the sense that when I was 10, I wanted to be a costume designer. And I went to college to be a costume designer. (laughs) And then I got my master's in costume design. And so that's a little like on the uh, a straight path but my career journey was actually very winding and I avoided becoming a teacher because you avoid what you love and what you're supposed to do uh <laughs> sometime right sometimes and so then 13 years ago I said oh I am supposed to be a teacher uh so I am faculty at East LA College I started the costume program there And uh, my passion soon became, just like Camille, helping others prepare for their career and making sure that they had all the answers that I felt like I never had along the way. So I jokingly call our book and a class that I wrote um, all the things that I cried in the bathroom stall at my first job about. (laughs) Um, yeah I love that so right and I was like someday this will be worth it right and and it is it is worth it we were both so excited to share what we went through and we're still going through you know we're we fingers crossed we still got a lot of
3: career left and um so yeah that's lovely So tell me, this is a really good point to launch off because I think that a lot of the people that I've spoken to in my podcast over the years, and especially I think during the pandemic, it came up a lot, is that a lot of the educational roadmaps for the people in the arts don't involve a lot of the business of the the business. And essentially when you come out, you are your own business. If you're freelancing, you need to know how to do your tax and your things. And I know when I did my course, which was eons ago, there was nothing on that. Is it there now? What are your thoughts on that? How how do we prepare people for for that aspect, aside from the creative talent and the the the, the skills that they need to do the job, but the running of their own life.
2: I'll start with you, Camille with me. I mean you're preaching to the choir. That's the <laughs> that's that's something that we're both very passionate about. I call this area workforce readiness, and it is absolutely lacking in most most programs. Um, I think that the community college system does a lot better than other places, because community colleges, in in, in my outside experience, tend to be more career focused. But yeah, I think I, I think there's a, there's a few ways that we can tackle this. I think within schools, and I've I've in the you know 10 to 15 years that I've been working in this area within Los Angeles I have seen progress I think there's more attention to it I think coming out of the recession there was a big focus on it I think the pandemic you know people are are going okay we need to we need to equip people better so I've seen changes and we're the sort of happy but frustrating thing is we're not talking about massive curriculum shifts we're talking about including some really basic information. Um, I I know, you know, shouting out Bernardo Solano at at Cal Poly Pomona, I remember him saying, well, I have this list of topics that we had generated uh, through this this, um, workforce readiness symposium that CTG, uh, my organization, hosted. Uh, And he said, I'm just going to pick, I'm going to have every professor pick a couple of these topics to include in their syllabus. And it it is things like how to do your taxes. It's, you know, it's literally telling people that they will be a freelancer. It's, it's literally saying, do you know if you'll need to join a union in this career path that you want? It's, it's very basic, (laughs) which again is the, is the, the bright side and the frustrating side. So I also think that organizations can be helpful, especially the larger nonprofits can really be helpful, not just in, cultivating these opportunities like paid apprenticeships, paid internships, but also in asking for what they want. So, you know, there are certain career paths in theater where we have a horrible time hiring because there just aren't enough people coming into the field. Technical direction is a big one. Some of the niche areas in, in costuming, as Jessica knows, are is another one. How can we as employers say to the education community, to people coming up in the field, look, if you if you go into these careers, you will work. You will you will find work in these careers. I think we can do a better job with the communication around that.
3: Mm, I totally agree. I, I think in some of the areas I work in sort of the circus circus world um and a lot of the gaps in, in staffing on our side is is massive one is automation operators. Like I every time I turn up at a gig I see the same people and I love to see the same people but it's like where's the where's the rest of them and there's there's a big career to be had in 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 advanced automation in theatrical systems and it's globally people are dying for that uh that niche to be filled and and for people to be aware of those those massive needs within the industry I agree there needs to be a there needs to be an industry to education, communication to guide the the principles of what should be taught and what's accessible to people, rather than the because our industry is expanding and changing, right, with technology and and different systems and different companies building different, from drones to pools, pool swimming pools to all of these things in the shows that isn't just this black box theater stage is now on the vocabulary of careers within the industry and people need to understand everything that's possible there.
2: That's right. And on the administrative side, you know, there's there's careers like fundraising that you you can get a whole undergraduate degree and nobody will say, did you know that there are all of these jobs on the back end that pay you a great wage, steady paycheck, they're not freelance positions, and you get to stay close to the art. You know, and a lot of those are nine to five jobs or close to it. And it's, it's just fascinating to me that we, you know, I got a theater degree and I had absolutely, I could ma- I maybe came out of that being able to name 10 jobs in theater, which is pretty normal. We've done, we've done research. That's right. Like an undergraduate graduate programs are really no better. But then you look at the, you look at the, the staff page of a large regional theater and, you know, CTG has almost 200 employees. So it's like, how are we even saying there are possibilities here that you don't even know exist? And if you have intersectional interests like writing in theater or math in theater or marketing in theater, come on down. There's jobs for you. But, you know, just never we stick to actor, director, playwright. Right. And, and so few of the people who graduate with those degrees will still be doing that job in five years. And that's OK. That's normal. Like, let's normalize the expansion of your career post-graduation.
3: Yeah. What's your thoughts,
1: Jessica? The key really is the empowerment part of the puzzle. And it really does start in the classroom. And then folks like Camille are lifting it up even more in the industry and in the field. But it starts in the classroom. And I know in my personal experience, a lot of the information I was hungry for was a secret. I wanted to know how to do my taxes. Oh, it's hard. You know, I want to, okay, well, how do you network? Well, you just need to know a lot of people. I was like, but that didn't tell me how to do it. How do I do it? Right? I, I can draw, I can sew, I can do all these things, but I need to get, I need to know the right people. I need to navigate. And I didn't have those navigation skills. And that's what we need to talk about in the classroom. It might seem like, well. My role is to teach you the art, the craft. But I really think, and I, as Camille said, I really think the landscape is changing. We need to be empowered as faculty, as uh, tr- anyone in a training position, a mentoring opportunity to give every, all that we know, right, plant all the seeds. Cause you never know in someone's career when that seed you're like, whoops, I've heard this. I need this. I'm going to dig back and pull that out. And it wasn't about the art and it wasn't about the craft, but it was about, about being empowered that I'm in charge. My career isn't happening to me. I am making my career happen. And there's a lot of leaders in education realizing that our role is so much more than teaching the skills. It's about mentorship, um, able to connect with students, able to see them through the different seasons of their careers and taxes, knowing how to do them. That's a skill. How do I join the union and knowing how that's a skill, all this information that was kept secret in the industry of, well, it's tough for us. So it's going to be tough for you. And I think I think we're finally shifting away from that idea that you have to learn the hard way because then you're tough enough, you know, to be a part of it. But it's <laughs> not, and as somebody that works with students of all ages every day, that is not who they are. And so that's not where the industry is going, I can promise you. But the empowerment piece for Camille and I has always been really pow- uh, the most important part. We don't want to just tell you what to do. You know, we want your toolkit to be so strong that you can figure it out when you need to on your own, knowing you have a team of people behind you always.
3: No, that's amazing. It's it's so good that that's being woven into the fabric of what you're doing in the educational sector. I want to ask both of you in your own personal journey: Are you good with money yourself? And what was your journey since since when you came out of your education through to where you are now? What was your learning curve? And again, we'll start with you, Camille.
2: I love that question. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I, uh, <laughs> yeah, I'm I waiting. Did it's going to be I... a funny story. I'm sure. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just, I, I'm, it's there, there is absolutely some, uh, you, you ever giving somebody advice and then you're like, I should take this advice too. There's always a piece of that, right? I didn't grow up with a lot of money. I think I, like a a lot of people in this country, grew up thinking that talking about money was not something that we did. It wasn't polite, right? It wasn't, like, I had no idea how much my parents made or um, just absolutely no concept of how money worked. And that was really hard to build that muscle, especially because, as we've been talking about, I was a theater major and an English major. Definitely no sort of financial life skills coming out of that. So I was in the category of people who were, like, afraid to look at my bank account for a long time. At the same time, <laughs> I was starting to work in management for a small theater, and uh, Circle X Theater. And then I was in graduate school for arts management, which did teach me. I did t- take financial accounting um, with the amazing Faith Ray Regal, shouting her out. So I was learning it. I I learned it for my job before I had the light bulb of, Oh, I can apply this to my own finances too. (laughs) So it has taken so long. I'm 39 years old. It's taken a long time for me to normalize it. And what I try to practice is talking about money openly. I, you know, I, I supervise the internship program at CTG for about 10 years and I, um, I would tell them how much I made. I would tell them what the salary tiers are at CTG. I would, you know, I, I, I think the more that we talk about money, the more that we get used to money is a tool. Money is, it, it doesn't have to be emotional. Um, I hear students, especially a lot going, I either they're on the side of like, oh, I'm afraid of money. I don't like talking about money or I hate money all the way over to like, oh, I don't care about money. It's like, well, let's, let's examine that money is, is a tool. So instead of talking about like, I don't care about money, let's talk about what you do care about. Do you care about travel? Do you want to have a family? Do you care about pets? Do you care? like, what are the things that you care about in your life? Because all of those things do take money. So let's, instead of inserting the emotion in it, let's look at what are the things that are important to me in my life? And that's, that's where I've landed and also not judging yourself for those things. And especially if they're different from other people's things. So, you know, I am a parent, I have priorities around money that somebody who's not parenting doesn't, and that's okay. I also, you know, like to get my nails done. That's also okay, <laughs> right? <laughs> uh, so just, just uh, it. It took a long time for me to pull the emotion away from it and just go. This is a tool. I just need to. I need to be super familiar with how much I make and how that breaks down. Um, I'm divorced, and so I'm also like, it's it's me, you know, it's all me. So I need to know, and I need to not judge, and I need to be okay with the financial decisions that I'm making. Um, without shaming myself or ignoring it. And that's a, that's a journey. But I think that we practice it every day, right? We practice normalizing it. It's, there are a few things in that category. Mental health is another one for me. Like, let's talk about the way that that shows up in your daily life. So that's my, like, it, and it's, it's taken a while, but um, I still really love to say something very honest about personal finance. And just kind of see younger folks clock it or take like take note of like okay this is it's it's okay it's okay to talk about money in this way.
3: Yeah, thank you for sharing. I think there's definitely you know from Australia. I think uh, as I'm from Australia and I've worked in the USA and I've worked in multiple countries, I've had the the, the attitude towards money is very different from place to place. You know, you go to a job in I, I'm but currently based in Hong Kong, and the first thing you do if people have, if apply for your job they'll say how much do you get paid. That's the first question that they ask you because they want to know what the benchmark of how much they have to pay you more to get you to come over to the company. So it's really it's really interesting to see people's personal relationship with money and how that plays out. And there's off in out know, and then there's there's that from a cultural perspective, but then there's also from a industry perspective where there's we come from this starving artist mentality, right? Where we we are slaves to uh what we um our craft and our things and it doesn't the, the business side of it isn't it isn't important, but the reality is if you want to truly create, you need a platform and the space and the time to do that. And as you said, money is a tool for that to be able to, for you to be able to do that. And and if you look at it from that perspective, then you can arrange yourself to give yourself the space for that creativity. So what do you think, Jessica?
1: One, uh, you were just saying surviving, like that sort of, you know, starving artist concept. And on our book, we really tried to flip the script of um, a thriving artist, and not just financially, like in all aspects of their life. But for for money, for me, I grew up with great privilege. And I was always very aware of that. Uh, I'm thankful to my mother for making sure that I had an awareness uh, of what we what we had, and then today, it's really important uh, money and uh, my relationship with my husband because he works in television, so we have to be very careful about planning for when he's not working. And we did sit down and have a conversation, and I said, I think only one of us can play Hollywood. I said, this is a really risky for both of us to, to have to not just balance our own work life, but balance between the two of us. And so that was a conversation we had, uh, driven by money, but the most, the, the clearest moment for me that became a really big part of my decision-making was that my husband, a theater set designer at the time, and I was the costume designer on a show. It was a freelance, non-union show. We went into the same office. We talked to the same person, and when we got in the car to go home, I was so excited. It's like I just signed my first contract. And he said, "Well, how much are you getting?" And I said, "Well, how much are you getting?" And I was making fifteen hundred dollars less than him, and it lit a fire (laughs) and it's, it's still burning bright. And that really became an incredible motivator for me as a person, for my students. I walk into classrooms and I not, uh, today it's less, but I would say I have $200,000 in student loan debt. So if you want to transfer, let's talk, let's talk about it. And we actually write down everything that, everything, budget everything. What do you want to do? What do you need to pay for to make sure that we realize, oh, and there's that, you know, there's that student loan payment. So it drives my decisions probably more than it should, to be honest with you. I'm at a point in my career where I'm like, ooh, how much can I make, right? Because that fire's still burning. I still have to, you know, and I'm not just doing it for myself, but for anyone who's realizing that they're not being paid what they deserve. A shout out to the costumers of of the world, you know, hashtag naked without us. They are still fighting in television and film to be paid what they deserve. But we have to talk about money. We have to say this is how much this job can make. This is how much that job can make. We have to say those words because a lot of our our students, new graduates, um, folks new to the industry, might be thinking they're making a certain amount, and that's not happening for a couple of years. I think another thing we need to say is, I must make this minimum amount of money, or I will walk away. And we we have to we have to say it. I have to practice it. I don't know if I'm that good at it. Uh, even you know, like Camille is saying, we we sometimes forget our own advice. Like, I'm like, Hey, we wrote about this in chapter five. So I'm going to look up what we said because I need, I, I need that advice. But, um, it's a really important part of the puzzle and an amazing survey that was done at center theater group revealed that money was the number one concern for folks that had graduated within the past 10 years in the arts in that survey it also said that money was the number one reason folks left the industry. So, we really we like Camille said like mental health, we need to be talking about this. We are all going through experiences that we can share. They're all valid, they're all important. So, yeah, I talk about how much debt I have. <laughs> um, I will never apologize for how much I want to make and that has been a long road. We should never apologize for what we want to make, or we deserve to make. But I'm not too worried because the next generation of theater artists, they know what they want. And with, you know, and and now they're going to have the voice uh, to help shift what's happening. But yeah, money, we need it. We have to talk about it.
3: I want to come to your class.
0: Interrupting the show to mention that the book, Navigating a Career in Technical Entertainment, is available online. Again, if you choose, so if you choose to purchase the book, do consider getting it from our affiliate link. I would also like to remind you that here at Artistic Finance, we have a Patreon page, and this is where you can patronize us to keep these interviews happening. And in return for your side, all patrons get a private podcast feed with early releases and bonus content. Those early releases include the three upcoming collaborations with Theatre Art Life. Now, if you'd like access to those things and if you want to support the show, sign up at patreon.com artisticfinance and you can join on a monthly or annual subscription and levels start at $5 a month. That is patreon.com slash And if you're not ready to become a patron, you can still support artistic finance by paying the fee for listening. That fee is to tell somebody about the show. That may seem like something that every podcast asks their listeners. And the reason is really important. And that is that it's the number one way that people have found out about the show. Everyone who listens does so because somebody mentioned an episode to them or somebody mentioned us out on social media and now back to the show
3: no i i mean even you know i'm in my 40s and i still have those conversations with myself and uh and i ask myself you know how do i fundamentally teach my children about that as well in, and from a from a healthy perspective can i ask uh, uh,
2: camille how old are your children I have a four-year-old and a six and a half year old, and we're already starting to talk about money. I mean, we we do. We talk about this is this is what it means, this is why we go to work. Um I think you were saying about the sort of martyrdom complex in theater. There's also a like, well, I'm just really lucky to be in the industry. And and it's it is a generational thing, because Jess is right, Gen Z is not here for that. It's delightful. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> But really like this. Yeah. We we talk to them about like, this is what money means. This is what it is. And, um, Mm. and that that's a factor in planning your life. And there's, that shouldn't be a secret thing or a dirty thing.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and you, Jessica, how old are your children? They are nine and six and,
1: uh, same. We talk about money. Uh, we didn't talk about it in my house, to the like dollar amounts we talked about it in umbrella terms but you know the conversations we're having now is you know dad's show got canceled so we're gonna be living a little bit differently for a couple of months only a few right we're gonna be fine so, but, you know, we're, t- but we're telling our kids, this is our reality, that things are going to shift. It's going to be different. Everything costs money. And, uh, yeah, it's definitely, I think, I think, you know, what we all are doing, right? We're, we're trying to tell our kids more about it because perhaps we didn't know enough about it. And, and I, I have a sneaking suspicion that I added two more artists to the world. Um, and so, <laughs> so I'm glad they'll, <laughs> It was going to happen, be, right?
3: <laughs> they're, going to, they're going to be financially savvy artists is what they're going to be. <laughs> uh, I have the, I have a, you know, for me though, my, my daughter is nine and my son is 12 and they're smart as hell. And, and, and it backfires. My conversations with money backfire sometimes because some of the conversation I have is like, well, mum has got to go away for work. And that's what we do to earn money to pay for the house and pay for the things and all of that. And then I was having this conversation with my daughter because she wanted to do two aerial, so silky yoga class sort of thing. And I said, "Oh, you can do one on Saturday too if you want." And she's like, "But how much does it cost?" And I said, "No, it doesn't matter. We can afford it. But if I go, if I don't go, will you stay home?" <laughs> and I'm like, "Oh." <laughs> What a way to run the guilt trip on the mum, you know? Wow! <laughs> if, I if I don't do this sports class, well, you don't you don't have to leave me and
2: go to work. So, oh,
3: they they know how to hit you, but the kids don't they?
2: <laughs> yes, they do.
3: <laughs> so you guys have mentioned because you work with the younger generation, it's really interesting to me because um I'm not teaching that generation, is and you've made a number of reference to their change in attitude and. And and um, and and ethos. Tell me a little bit about that, and what do you think then the the future looks like in in terms of the industry potentially?
2: I can start from the employer perspective, and then you know, of course, Jess teaches more. I teach at the undergrad level as well and the graduate level. But (laughs) I graduated from college in two thousand six, and it we was still very much hustle culture, and very especially in theater like who can work the hardest, who can volunteer for the most stuff to show that you're like, oh, it was, and, and it was a really like, oh, you got to prove yourself and then you'll start getting paid. This generation doesn't have that for the most part in a very healthy way. They're like, no, this is my labor, pay me, or I will take myself elsewhere. It's incredible. And you know, looking at the the generational dynamics in the workforce, I think there's a lot of people who. So I'm like an elder millennial, <laughs> cuspy between the next generation up, and I, it's funny to see the millennials be like, "I'm a little irritated with you, but I'm also real proud of you." <laughs> a, I had a really different journey, but you asked for that raise. I love it. I mean, I think it's really healthy and great, and um, I'm. I'm always proud of of them. I think there's also I think it's related to mental health because they're much better at setting boundaries and saying like and asking for that and expecting that in a healthy way and pushing for that in a in an industry that has been awful about respecting boundaries. So, and and, you know, this whole conversation is also related to equity, diversity, and inclusion and anti-racism, because I think that a lot of this is tied to social justice and who gets in the door and who has the privilege to work for free or work for very low wages. And I think there's much more of an awareness of equity in that generation that they're pushing for, regardless of their own identity, they're pushing for, this is what's right. Right you know, it, it's not right to work people until they are exhausted and leave the field. It's not right. It's not sustainable. <laughs> I love it. I think that it's, it's a super positive change. It's, it is one of the factors that's forcing a complete reassessment of what it looks like to have a sustainable theater arts model. That's amazing. Your thoughts, Jessica?
1: Yeah, i um... I I echo what Camille said. There's so many moments. uh, I'm of the same generation and very much a product of hustle culture still uh, as I sit in a car doing a podcast before I have to run to something else, right? Um, (laughs) But... um, But there's so many times with my students, and I just want to put out there as a community college teacher, my students are not all 18, 19, 20. And that's why I love my job. So uh, when we say students, we need to make sure we remember that students of all ages, right? Like equity, just what Camille was saying, uh, including age. And they'll say things to me and I'm like, wow, I didn't I didn't know that was an option. Like I say that to myself all the time. They're like, well, you know, that internship, I do like it, but it's so far away and the gas money, this and the, this. And then I'm like, I didn't know that was an option to be that, you know, pragmatic about making the choice. Like they said, come, I would have been like, yes, thank you. I, I won't mess up, you know? And they're like, well, let me think about how this affects me. And they are bold and they know what they want, uh, the next generation of theater uh, and entertainment artists at large. And the two things that I'm most impressed with uh, and excited for is how multifaceted they all are. They know that they want to do a little of this and a little of that with this on the side. And to be honest, that's the landscape that that that's where the industry is going is this multi hyphenate approach. In my day, you were a costume and a scenic designer. What? Like so many things, you (laughs) know, and now, (laughs) and so now there's this entrepreneurial spirit that is a part of everything that they do. It's a part of their career plan. They will uh, over and over. I'll. Say, what do you want to do when you're done with your training? Which, by the way, training never ends. But <laughs> you know, what are you? What are you going to do when you're not with us anymore? Uh, and uh, it always has something to do with my own business, my own brand, something with this entrepreneurial spirit, which is perfect because it's a business. At the end of the day, it is an art that we love that happens to be a business. And so they're probably more business ready as individuals because of that entrepreneurial
3: spirit that they have in them. Mm. No, that's, that's really good. It's good to hear. So there's two questions on the Theatre Art Life podcast we always ask. So I'm going to ask these questions of you and it's a kind of more personal one. So I'll start with you, uh, Camille. What's, your, what's the most favorite thing about your job or the industry?
2: I imagine everybody says the people.
3: It's often a quick
2: response, yeah.
3: <laughs> but <laughs> it's good. It's, it's, it's like every time we finish a podcast, it's like, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. <laughs> I
2: love, I love, love, love theater people. I was just talking to somebody yesterday about how much I love the specialists because in theater, we have a lot of really amazing specialists. And so, and on all sides, on the administrative side, you've got people who are amazing, great writers. You have people who are like very, very specific data analysts in the, the marketing space. But everybody loves theater. And it, it's just so, we, we're doing um, Twilight Los Angeles by Anna DeVere-Smith. It's the 30th anniversary production at Center Theater Group. And we had a, an all-staff meeting yesterday. We spent 20 minutes talking about all of the stuff that all the different departments are doing around the show. Just seeing everybody being like, "Ah, oh, yeah, theater's the best. Like, oh, I love it. I feel, I do feel so grateful to be in it. But yeah, people. No, it's good.
3: I was thinking about this the other day and I say like I think one of the reasons is because theatre has to bring so many different skill sets around the table to do the one same common goal and it's not the same as accounting firm or a legal firm. Like they're all doing similar things whereas here it's the lighting designer, the costume designer, the artist, the producer and we all and that diversity is fascinating and and, and to work as a team with through that diversity is um is what i think is part of the reason that, that that those people are are so beautiful to work with that's that that's what i was sort of reflecting on the other day we're doing a massively challenging project in Saudi Arabia here and i often have to lean back on the uh the fundamentals of the why right and uh yeah and it comes down to that camaraderie as a team that that gets us through every day you know uh, <laughs> and for you
1: Jessica So I have many jobs other than teaching, and I am a costume designer, which I have such a passion for. I'm very, very lucky to work at the same theater uh, consistently at the Gary Marshall Theater in Burbank. Uh, But as much as I love designing, really, truly my favorite part of my job is being a mentor. And my mentors are still a huge part of my life, Raphael Hayen and Madeline Kozlowski. Uh, I make all my decisions being like, what do you, what do you guys think? Is that good? <laughs> and now that I've been a teacher for a long time, uh, about 12, 13 years of teaching, and I've been a part of so many of my students' lives the whole time, community college takes some folks 10 years. Uh, and so I have so much, uh, we have so much invested together and I'm like in the passenger seat, uh, getting to, to watch like all these amazing things that they're accomplishing and they always come back. Like they're always back in the shop, you know, telling us how they're doing, checking in. We've seen, you know, people in our program that go and now there's, have a baby. And like, that's just the most amazing part to me is to be able to see their journey, especially their professional journey. And I can see the landscape changing as, as they're, they've gone out into the industry and each time they're changing, uh, changing it. So I love being a mentor. It's my favorite. I like when they text me what they're doing. (laughs) You know, like, I'm at work. And I'm like, and you thought of me? Like, that's amazing. (laughs) And I'm just so, I just have so much pride uh, in all that they've accomplished. That is the best part.
3: That's amazing. I love it. Our second question is, if you could change one thing about the job or your industry, what would you change?
2: I think we still have a lot of systems that are built on inequity and um, white supremacy culture. And uh, I, I think it we're there's more awareness of it now, but we have a long, long journey ahead to be a truly uh, anti-racist industry and and anti-racist uh, organizations individually.
3: Yes, that's a big, massive. That we have to do another whole podcast on that one. <laughs>
1: we should regroup and do that one. And for you, uh, Jessica. Yeah, mine is um, right off of what Camille is saying. For me, if my students were able to focus just on going to school, pay for them to go to school, they shouldn't have to pay for it themselves. Education should be available to everyone. They should be able to, I mean, they're doing it. They're balancing taking care of their family. They're balancing work. They're going to classes. It shouldn't have to be that hard. Everyone should be able to go to school, get the funding that they need from that school, have edu- access to education. And um, I would change that hands down. Anytime there's a hurdle for a student, it's because they're juggling. Well, let's not make them juggle so much, right? Mine would be the same e- education equal access for everyone to be in the classroom when they want for as long as they want.
3: Well, wow. I'm going to try and circle back with you girls. I think we'll talk about that one next time because I don't want to leave it like that. <laughs> no, because it, it does, for me, it starts with that accessibility to education, right? Like, I think that you can talk about the industry where it is now, but the pipeline has to feed into it and it starts there. And until the pipeline allows for that, I remember somebody telling me in New York, and I'm, I don't live in the States, but it was the, the big kind of highlight for me. They said, Anna, like, if you're going to get an internship on Broadway, they're going to pay you a few hundred bucks a week. And the only people that can go to those inter- internships who are the people that have the uh, afford- the wealth factor to be able to um, afford to live in New York City uh, on a supplementary income that doesn't come from that internship because you can't live on, you know, a few hundred bucks a week <laughs> in New York. So you, you that that automatically excludes a whole demographic of people that can never do that. And, and it really... Um, I mean, it's just one example, but I always think about that example because I think about what other what are other the other barriers that I don't see. Um, I'm in a position now where I have to uh, employ a lot of people, and when I when I when I send out a job application, I'm constantly looking at who are the people that are applying and what's their and and and, and what's their diversity. I've literally written to women and said, "Please apply for this job." I don't have any women in this pool of candidates that I have here, let alone et- ethnicities, right? And so um, it's, a, it's a fundamental work for me, you know, and I, I did a podcast a, while, a long time ago with uh, uh, a, a group of, of Asian-Americans and uh, and and they called me out on my BS because I said something about, you know, it's really hard and they're like, but it's on you, Anna, you've got to do the work and, and I, I constantly think about that for myself to try and what are my biases what are what are my um, barriers where am I where am I going to find those people because some of those people don't apply so I have to do the work to find them and that's a lot of work um, and like culture change takes time to change you know it's not something that I can snap my fingers and fix but it's for me to talk with you guys from an educational sector I feel it, it a lot of it breaking those barriers there starts a pipeline to allow that to happen and I'm very very passionate about that as well so before we finish up I'd like to just ask you guys how do we find out you know how do we find you connect with you and where do we see your book so that uh, people can reach out after this podcast and uh, get to know more
2: sure our book is available on the Routledge website it's also on Amazon um is called Navigating a Career in Technical Entertainment, Your Creative Career Guidebook. Uh, it's, it's great for individuals. It's great for classrooms. We wrote it with that early career audience in mind. You can find me on LinkedIn. I'm, I'm the only person in the world with my name, <laughs> Camille Schenken, that I know of. So, yeah, please uh, track me down. And um, I'm, I'm always happy to talk to folks.
1: I'm on LinkedIn and my online portfolio is J.C. Hansen Designs. And so uh, I ha- you can message me through that. I'm also a teacher. My email's everywhere. You could just Google <laughs> it, right? <laughs> um, you can come to my office hours. Uh, but yeah, um, we uh, one thing that we're most excited about for the book uh, that makes it different is the tone. We didn't write it in uh, some like academic uh, tone. It's just the two of us, like we went to coffee and we want to tell you a bunch of stuff, right? Already I'm using, you know, ridiculous words. We want to tell you about the stuff. We want, you know, so the tone of it is really approachable. Uh, we are so incredibly lucky that so many of our network colleagues wanted to add their own thoughts. So we have these amazing entries from folks all over the industry from a cruise ship to touring to theme park and all, just wonderful advice from just a huge group of of wonderful mentors. Uh, and then we have worksheets in the book so that You can actually take the information and say, well, but what does that have to do with me? You know, and so uh, I love a good uh, reflection worksheet. So it's a way to really stop and put it in your perspective. And the idea is that it grows with you. You know, there's a chapter in the end that talks about shifting careers And someone that read our book said, you know what? Like, I really needed that right now. I've been in the industry for 20-something years, and I think it's time for a change. So uh, it really, as we wrote it, we realized it was really meant for anyone in any part of their career. Yes. Come find us. We'd love to tell you more about it. We're online. Email us.
3: Amazing. Well, Jessica, Camille, fellow mothers in the industry, it was really a pleasure to get to know you. And uh, thank you so much for joining us today on the podcast. Thank you. Thank you. Theatre at Life is a global media site for entertainment. Memberships start at only 38 US dollars per year. You can have unlimited access to our daily published articles, including entertainment news and the writings of active industry professionals, ensuring that you are always up to date on the global happenings in the world of entertainment. Become a part of the international entertainment community and join us now at www.theaterartlife.com
0: That's it for this week's episode. Thank you to Theater Art Life for putting this together. My only takeaway is that I'm a big fan of Gen Z. I am so happy when an assistant tells me, Ethan, you are working for too low of pay. Or, I can't work with you, Ethan, because the pay just isn't enough. I'm taking notes and trying to take a page out of their book. Speaking of Gen Z, my assistant, Adrian Yoon, this week told me that I need to promote the Artistic Finance YouTube channel more. So if you're listening and you haven't subscribed to Artistic Finance on YouTube, please do. There's a quick link in the show notes. Now our YouTube page is just this. It's the podcast, but it's the video version. So if we ever have visual aids or you just want to see what we look like, go to YouTube and type in Artistic Finance. And actually, on the YouTube front, they have recently added podcasts to their channel or to their website. I'm not quite sure how it works, but all I know is that I have been uploading every single Autistic Finance episode into a playlist, and they recently said, hey, is that a podcast? And so I clicked, yes, it's a podcast, and now it is a podcast list. So I don't actually listen to YouTube on my phone, but I think that might be an option now. Anyway, this podcast is available on YouTube. So please go and subscribe, and thank you, Adrian, for having me promote that. All right, now today I'm adding a new segment to the show called Dad Jokes. So as you all know, I'm a new father. Theo is seven weeks old, which means I've been saying smashing, amazing, hilarious dad jokes for seven weeks now. I'm going to leave you with a few today pulled from the internet, and they are on the theme of Mother's Day. What did the mother broom say to the baby broom? It's time to go to sweep. How did the panda open her Mother's Day card? With her bare hands. Why did the cookie cry? Because his mother was a wafer too long. That's it for today. Until next time, break a leg. Thank you for listening to Artistic Finance, where we interview successful artists, leaders, and investors to help educate and inspire the creative community. To access our show notes and resources, go to artisticfinance.com. This show is for entertainment purposes only.
1: Before making any decision, consult a professional. This show is copyrighted by Artistic Finance. Written permission must be granted before syndication or rebroadcasting.